Well, good morning again. Um, in uh, Paul's letter to um, the Romans, um, he wrote, Therefore, uh, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Uh, nowadays, to welcome somebody has a very weak meaning. Um, you come into a store and a greeter tells you, welcome, valued customer, almost, almost that. Uh, or you meet somebody at the airport and you say, welcome to Houston. So in our culture, to welcome someone is um, nothing more than a politely greeting them. Uh, but of course, Paul's words to the Romans must mean something much deeper than that. Paul is talking about the dynamics of a community that has tasted the grace of Jesus and therefore should embody this kind of community, a welcome community. So it's a community where the strong help the weak, where we seek to build each other for the glory of God, and where, where we can welcome one another because of what Christ has done for us. And it's so countercultural to the world we live in. So today, uh, we will actually not, not study Romans 15, where we find these words. But instead, we're going to look at the story of the cleansing of the leper in Mark chapter, chapter 1. And I would like for us to reflect on what Christ has done for us to, uh, to welcome us into fellowship with God. And then uh, to reflect on how that grace should shape us into a community of grace. Uh, capable of welcoming the stranger, the foreigner, the one that doesn't fit, and even the ones we don't like. So let me read first from the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 1, and then I'll pray. The scripture said, um, And a leper came to him, that's to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Move with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the... But, when, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Let me pray. Lord, as we meditate upon your word, I pray that your spirit might give us eyes to see. Uh, give us receptive hearts to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, which my kids actually haven't seen, I was thinking about it, is, is Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park, the, the first one. Uh, I probably have some of 30 years ago, or 30 years ago, and on that came out, there is a scene very early in the movie where a boy says that raptors are not that impressive to him. But he said that in the presence of Dr. Alan Grant, a famous famous paleontologist and raptor expert who is offended by this uninformed opinion. So Dr. Grant decides to scare the boy to death by using a raptor claw while explaining how raptors used to attack their victims collectively, not from the front, but from the side. And they will start eating their prey before killing them. So the boy better show some respect next time he talks about raptors. 
Now, when you're watching the movie for the first time, this might not seem a very relevant uh, scene because everybody's waiting for the live dinosaurs to appear on screen. But once you reach the part of the movie where all the action is, guess what? It's all about the raptors attacking collectively, not from the front, but from the side. So the dialogue uh, between Dr. Grant and the boy at the beginning of the movie that didn't seem so important is actually quite significant because it foreshadows what is about to come later in the climax of the film. But you don't know that unless you have seen the movie 30 times like me. And I'm telling you this because foreshadowing, similar to the one I just described, happens a lot in the Gospel of Mark. And sometimes it's easy to miss. The crucifixion is foretold through the entire Gospel in many ways that reveal who Jesus is and what he has come to do, which means that we constantly have to do this exercise of going back and forth in order to fully appreciate those anticipations um, of the climax, the, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And a clear example of this foreshadowing is actually the cleansing of the leper that we just read. So in order for us to see how this miracle anticipates the crucifixion, we are going to consider first the background of the story by looking at the leper's petition. Secondly, we are going to consider the actual content of the story, which means that we are going to look at Jesus' response and the consequences of the cleansing. And finally, as I mentioned before, we are going to look at how this miracle helps us better understand the grace of Jesus and the way that should shape our relationship so that we will welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. So let's, let's begin first with the leper's petition. We read in verse 40 that a leper came to Jesus imploring him. So we immediately get a picture of someone who is in a desperate situation. And the leper said, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, notice that the leper doesn't say, if you will, you can heal me. But if you will, you can make me clean. Now, in order for us to understand what the leper was asking for, we need to remember what leprosy meant in Jesus' time. Now, nowadays, leprosy refers to a particular disease known as Hansen's disease. It's a long-term infection caused by bacteria. It can be spread between people, but contrary to popular belief, it's not highly contagious and it's curable. But still, think on how will we usually go about the prospect of having perhaps not leprosy, but any other visible disease in our skin. First of all, I will say, based on experience, that we normally try to keep it private as much as possible. And secondly, I will say that typically our first concern is not to get an appointment with the pastor, but with the dermatologist, right? Well, in Jesus' time, leprosy was something different in many ways. The term leprosy encompassed various skin diseases, including the one known as Hansen's disease, but it probably included as well other diseases that produce visible symptoms in your skin and imply physical pain or disturbance. But in addition to the physical disturbance, leprosy also entailed a tremendous social pain. Because according to the laws of Leviticus, 
chapter 13 and 14, Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, if a person happened to have on the skin a swelling, an eruption, or a spot, <coughs> you had to go to the priest. I know that priests in, in the Old Testament and pastors in the New Testament are not synonymous terms, but what I'm trying to show is that leprosy wasn't just a health issue that you could keep private. You had to go to the religious authority for an examination. And if he confirmed that it was leprosy, then the priest will pronounce you not just sick, but unclean. Now, if you were declared unseen due to leprosy, there were certain rules that you had to follow. You had to wear torn clothes and let the hair of your head hang loose. Now, back then, that wasn't cool. Okay, <clears throat> because you were shunned by everybody. It was embarrassing. You also had to cover your upper lips as you walk, and you will have to say, unclean, unclean, as you walk. So can you imagine how others would look at you if you were a leopard? Can you imagine the stigma that it entailed? In addition, lepers were instructed to live alone outside the camp. So in a very comprehensive way, the picture of a leper was a picture of misery, shame, and loneliness. You couldn't worship at the temple. Your relatives, your friends will avoid you. Nobody could touch you. People will run away from you. The repulsion against a leper was so strong that according to tradition, it was believed that if a person passed under the shadow of a tree where a leper was, that person will be polluted too. A minimum distance of six feet, now we know where the six feet come from, was to be kept from a leopard. And if the wind was blowing, it had to be 150 feet. Some rabbis boasted about throwing stones at the lepers so that they would keep their distance. Basically, to be a leper was to be a living dead. But all this repulsion was not just related to the fear of being infected, because you might think, well, they didn't have the proper medicine or knowledge about the disease, so they had to implement um, forced isolation to prevent the disease uh, from spreading. But it was more than that. It was more than that because every form of uncleanness, according to the law of Moses, was a reminder of the separation that exists between God and man because of sin. According to an Old Testament scholar, of all the different forms of impurity, leprosy was probably considered the most serious kind of bodily uncleanness. Maybe because in a very comprehensive way, it was a physical representation of the effects of sin. It was a painful reminder of man's uncleanness before God, of man's incapacity to clean himself, of man's misery and isolation because of sin. Now, I'm not saying that you got leprosy for committing a particular sin or because you were more sinful than others, although in some cases it was a direct curse from God. But in many other cases, it was just a witness to a reality that we all share. We are sinners separated from God. Now, this connection between sin and leprosy can also be clearly seen in the way a former leper will be restored into fellowship. So if you thought that the leprosy was gone, you had to go again to the priest. And if he confirmed that it was gone, you wouldn't just go back home. 
there was a special ceremony that had to be carried out. This is very interesting. Two birds were to be taken. One of them had to be killed in a vessel over fresh water. And then the living bird had to be deep in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And then the leper will be sprinkled seven times to be declared clean. And then the living bird had to be let go in the open field. Now, think about what is represented in this ceremony. Because as a writer explains, the live bird was identified with the blood of the dead bird as if the dead bird has suffered the consequences for sin in place of the live bird so that it could be free, let go. So the leper was also sprinkled with the blood that will symbolically allow him now to live. And there was more. On the eighth day, the priest had to offer a sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. So get the picture here. To be moved or, uh, from a status of uncleanness to a status of cleanness. From isolation back to fellowship, atonement or payment for your sin had to be done through a substitute. So as you can see, because of this clear connection with sin, the lepers were not simply considered sick but impure. And the people, instead of developing an awareness that we all develop in lepers as outcasts, Cursed by God. So all these help us to understand that if you will, you can clean me. Now let's look at Jesus' response. And it's all described in one verse. Verse 41. Move with pity. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Now Mark is telling us a lot in a few words. First of all, notice that Jesus doesn't panic. Or move away from the leopard. Uh, before this story, Mark tells us that Jesus was becoming quite famous and many people were looking for him, perhaps for the wrong reasons. But probably this encounter happened when Jesus was surrounded by many other people who I'm sure wouldn't be excited about having a leopard in their midst. But the less enthusiastic person in the world about having a leopard nearby would be a rabbi. A person devoted to cleanness. And yet, this particular rabbi doesn't panic. And not only is Jesus not afraid, but emotionally, he's actually engaged towards the leopard. He felt compassion for him. Now, again, remember that everybody looked at lepers and probably thought, dude, you must have done something really bad. For God to curse you that way. I mean, I'm glad my life is not so messed up as yours. I mean, I have issues, but not leprosy. That was kind of the reasoning, right? But instead of condemning the leper, as most people will do, Jesus felt compassion for him. And more with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. One of the things that Mark is telling us, or letting us know, is that either the leper was close or Jesus walked toward him because he was within an arm's length. That close. But I believe this is very symbolic. But this is very meaningful because in the Old Testament, it is Yahweh who stretches out his hand to rescue his people. 
Yahweh stretches out his hand from on high to rescue his people. Now, you might disagree with me, but I think uh, Mark is in a way drawing for us a picture that so that we will start to realize that this Jesus is none other than Yahweh incarnate that has come down to rescue his people. But even if you think that I'm reading too much uh, out of this description, you must remember that in those times it was widely recognized that the only cure for leprosy was divine intervention. Only God could cure leprosy. And that's exactly what is going on right here. And amazingly, the way Jesus decides to clean this leper is by touching him. I wonder what the leper felt um, emotionally about being touched by somebody who cared for him, somebody that loved him. And there certainly wasn't a need for Jesus to touch the leper. I mean, in the Gospels, we read many stories about Jesus healing or casting out demons just by giving the order. He heals the centurion's servant without even going where he was. But of all the cases he had to deal with, this was precisely the one where you were not supposed to touch the person because it will become unclean. And yet, did Jesus touch him? Um, normally... <coughs> When you're wearing a, a white shirt, you know, or a light-colored shirt, and you touch the moth, you become dirty, right? Your, your shirt becomes dirty. But apparently, Jesus' holiness works the other way around. Whatever he touches becomes white, becomes clean. He touched the leper, and immediately the leprosy left him, and the man was made clean. Jesus cleaned the unclean. But in doing so, he had to pay a price. He had to pay a, a, a price. Look at how the story ends. Verse 45. No longer openly entered a town, but was out in desolate places. So at the beginning of the story, the leper is the one who can come into the city. But at the end of the story, the former leper is in, and Jesus is the one that can come into the city. Now, I believe the whole story is an anticipation of what was going to happen at the cross. Because at the climax of Mark's gospel, we find the one who knew no sin, the Holy One, hanging on a cross, dying outside the city where the lepers were supposed to be, dying in shame, naked, because his garments were taken from him and torn, and absolutely alone, abandoned by friends, and abandoned by God. And he did that for the unclean. He went to the cross as a substitute for sinners who deserve to be eternally separated from God so that they could be brought back into fellowship with God by sheer grace. The divine exchange that the Old Testament pointed to and that the Apostle Paul explained by saying, for our sake, he made him to be seen who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The cleansing of the leper points us in the direction of the cross. Now, finally, how does this miracle help us to taste the grace of Jesus um, that we need in order to become a community that welcomes one another? Let me mention briefly three things. So first, um, there might be some here who are struggling and wondering whether Christ will take somebody like you. You might have come this morning with a heavy load of guilt, 
that you have been caring for so long, and you are doubtful whether God could forgive someone like you and will make you clean and will make you whole. You wish that your shame will be taken away together with your fear of others knowing your past or your present struggles. And as a leopard, you might not be wondering whether Christ is capable of forgiving or whether he is willing to forgive you. Well, if that's your case, let this story speak loud and bold to you. Christ welcomes lepers. He delights in welcoming them. He went to the cross for them. He carried their shame. So run to him. Perhaps you have misunderstood what Christianity and what the church is all about. You might think that Christians are people who haven't messed up their lives really bad or who have it all together and therefore Christ welcomes them because they're nice people. But it's actually the opposite. Being a Christian means recognizing that your life is so broken because of sin that apart from Christ, you can't have fellowship with God. But because Christ lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died, we can now be reconciled to God as his children. And it's all by grace. So Christ welcomes lepers and only lepers. Secondly, if you believe the gospel, if you have put your faith in Jesus, then you are called to welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. That is in the same way. And how do we know what that looks like? Well, I guess we can go back and look at stories as the one we just read and learn from them. Because when I think of the way Jesus ministered to the leper as a foreshadowing of the cross, as a foreshadowing of the gospel, I can't avoid thinking that we are called to minister to others as he did, pointing others to the cross in our words, in our deeds, announcing that a new age has come where Christ is making all things new. So if I may borrow a few images of the story of the leper and use them as, as metaphors, and as Jesus ministered to serve as Jesus served, we have to shorten the distance and touch the untouchable. More than just tolerating people being present in our lives or in our worship service. If we are going to point them toward the reality of Christ's victorious reign and to the extravagant grace of Jesus, we need to go far beyond a friendly smile and a good morning. To shorten the distance or to move towards somebody means moving out of your comfort zone, taking risks, compromising some of your preferences, changing your agenda, making room in your calendar, being willing for things to get a little messy, and engaging other people, communicating in a way that they will feel loved. It means going intentionally to the outcasts, to the one who doesn't naturally fit, or to the one you might think you have nothing in common with. I'm, I'm not even sure if, if we will understand one another. We can't welcome others as Christ did if we keep our distance. We can't. And finally, remember that welcoming one another has to be for the glory of God. This is the most critical aspect. John Piper said that uh, to do it for the glory of God means that you have to welcome one another in such a way that people won't think, oh, you're such a nice person. But that people will actually think, oh, Jesus is great. I want to know him. 
And how do you do that? Well, we have to keep a leper's perspective. We have to keep a leper's perspective. What do I mean? We often think that it's too difficult or too costly to extend grace or to welcome others in our lives or in our church, especially the ones that don't fit. We are so absorbed with our dreams and goals and schedules and priorities, our problems that overwhelms us, our preferences of how to do things, that we struggle to make room. So to be willing and intentional to move closer and extend um, Jesus' grace to others, we, we just find it hard. But I will argue that the reason why we struggle so much is because um, we think, first of all, as the leper, that the leper is somebody out there, somebody uh, to whom we need to, to have pity and be, be nice to them and, and maybe give them a little help. But what we have to realize first is that the leper is not just out there. The leper is right here. It's you. You are the leper. If you are in Christ, you are the leper. We were the ones caught from fellowship with God. We were the ones under God's curse because of sin. We were the undeserving ones. And yet, the arms of Jesus stretched wide as he hung on the cross in order to embrace us. Only if we know this, we are able to welcome others for the glory of God. Because only then we will not need to wait till our lives are perfect uh, before we seek to welcome somebody. Uh, because we're not trying to present Christianity as having the perfect life, but as having the perfect Savior. When we forget we are lepers, we tend to pretend. We close our hearts so that nobody will see our brokenness. Our lives are bad, but not as bad. And you know what? People feel judged. And they think, oh, uh, yeah, I don't have that perfect life. But when we realize that we are the lepers, we're more transparent on who we are. More transparent about our sin, our brokenness, our neediness. And we are more capable of extending the same grace we have received to others. And we actually point them better to the cross, to Jesus as our only hope. And when we do that, we are truly welcoming them for the glory of, the, of God. Because guess, guess who gets all the glory? Jesus. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming down from heaven to rescue us. We thank you for giving your life for the unclean. We thank you for welcoming us into your fellowship by your sacrifice. So, Lord, help us. Help us to welcome one another in such a way that we will reflect your grace for the sake of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's Supper is a, a meal for lepers who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. It's a means of grace that helps us to grasp the truth of what it costs Jesus to redeem and to reconcile us to God. It reminds us that because of him, we are welcome at his table. And he invites us to come as we are 
trusting not in our own merits, but in his merits. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you're not sure, you are in the right place, and we're so glad that you're here. But if that's your case, I would like to invite you to as abstain from the sacrament and instead take advantage of this time and, and talk to God where you are and ask him to give you faith um, that he will reveal uh, to you. So with that in mind, um, the Lord be with you. Lift off your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We thank you, O God, that you show your love by sending your Son, who gave his life for us and rose again from death, and lives to pray for us forever. And we thank you that he has taken away everything, all that separates us from you, and has made us friends with you and with one another. And we thank you that he has brought us together at this he has brought us brought us together at this table to strengthen us and to strengthen our faith by his love. So we pray that by the Spirit, as we take this bread and we take this wine, we may know Christ more so that we could show his love to the world. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night where he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after dinner, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Hallelujah. The gifts of God are for the people of God, so come and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. Let me invite the elders and then the music um, and musicians to come forward first. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy help. 
this last song is a celebration going out into the world and making God's name great with our lives.
Well, thank you for worship, worshiping with us this morning. Thank you for having me as well as a guest uh, preacher. Now, let me invite you to please lift up your eyes and receive uh, the Lord's benediction. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the world in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>